Folks, we've been gone for a few weeks now, you may have noticed, and I just didn't want to leave you without an explanation as to why that is. But I'm not going to let Justin control the narrative this time. You deserve to know the truth. And the reason for our absence is that... I'm lazy. But we do have more episodes recorded, we will be coming out with more stuff, and hopefully we'll be getting back onto a regular schedule in the near future. Now, without further ado, DJ, please drop that beat! Artifact. I'm Justin, and this is my co-host. I'm Alex. We're two former creative writing majors searching for meaning in a sea of content every other <laughs> week. You broke. I can laugh. You can't. <laughs> Why? Because yeah, it's not going to cook. Because I can cut my audio when you talk, but you can't laugh. It's your own audio. I know, but why are you laughing? Just the, there was just, the pause was just one beat too long. I was I like, this guy forgot what he was saying. Really, I just, I like, I don't know why. I thought your line was longer. I just like clicked off to like make sure it's that really I was like, recording. I just say Alex. Like, what do you. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, we're two former creative writing majors searching for meaning in a sea of content. Every other week, we'll select one piece of content each, an article, a video, another podcast that we found particularly interesting and discuss it. As always, our comments are our own and are not associated with any institution. The show may contain explicit language or themes. See the show notes for specific content warnings. Justin, what are we, uh, what are we looking at here today? So my artifact this week is called How Do You Know You're Gay by Ingrid Nilsson. Uh, it's a video on YouTube. It's about 10 minutes long, so I'll just take us through it quickly here. So basically, uh, Ingrid, I guess, also hosts a podcast, and she just kind of responding to different questions that she gets from people, more or less asking her if she, if they're gay and how they know based on different experiences they've had. And so one of the things she says early on is that everyone has a different experience, so there's no uh you know there's no one size fits all answer here she talks about how some people will know their sexuality early others will know it later and other people will be in a constant process of figuring out and that there's no wrong way to experience sexuality um any way that you sort of experience it is fine and that's basically where she's coming from uh, in the video uh and so ultimately you know she gets all these questions, but she can't really answer them because your sexuality is your own to decide. No one else can really tell you what you are. It's about what you're comfortable with and what you are looking for in life. One sort of interesting part is she says that living is a lifelong job, which, you know, sort of, I don't know, I mean, we can talk about that more later, I guess, but it's sort of interesting to think about how you are sort of always in a process of working and even though there are sort of good and bad moments within that like anything you want you sort of have to work for i think is basically what she's saying and but i guess the good news is that you know she says you don't need to figure a everything out by any certain age i think people sort of make these artificial deadlines but for when they have to decide on whatever whatever it is about their life and she's talking about sexuality here but 
Um, I think you can sort of see I'm leaning towards, and she also says that it applies to a much broader array of things. Um, and so there's nothing in your life particularly that you need to figure out by any certain age. That's uh, why she says living as a lifelong job doesn't end when you turn 18 or something. And she had one quote that was important to her that I also think is worth repeating from an author named Cheryl Strayed. Just don't surrender all your joy for an idea you used to have about yourself that isn't true anymore. And basically the point she's making is that labels can be good when they help us understand ourselves, but they can also be bad when either we are forcing a label onto ourselves or someone else is forcing a label onto us. And basically you should use whatever language feels right for you at the moment. And when it stops feeling right, then you should use different language or just stop using the language that you're using. And you should find at least one person that will sort of support you through your process of self-discovery. That's always important. I mean, hopefully you can, you know, the more people you can find can also be helpful to have a network. But just having at least one person is also a valuable thing to have. And yeah, she sort of ends it with the point that I already sort of uh, prefaced, which is that it doesn't just apply to sexuality, but can apply to any change that you face in your life, um, just in terms of figuring out what you want to do or how you see yourself or who you want to be. So that's basically the whole video. It's pretty, you know, pretty straightforward, but... Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I liked... You go into a video saying, how do you know if you're gay? Sort of knowing that there isn't going to be an answer like that. You Like that is like sort of like you can fit for in any situation. So like I can't really like knock it for not actually answering that question. But, but just by saying that, like, well, it depends because like obviously that was like what it was going to boil down to. But she gave a lot of, I would say, good substantial advice past that. I mean, you sort of covered on like the highlights of like the quotes she pulled and things like that. It's important to like remember that you shouldn't be beholden to every like opinion or thought you've had previously i mean granted there's some you you need to be held accountable for the things you've done but you don't need to like live the rest of your life with the same beliefs or thought process just because like well i thought this when i was like 20 and that means i'm an adult now and i can't like change or something like that or you know no age is disqualifying for changing your opinion so that was good I have a one question for you. I guess so, like, because I always kind of like these, but like, at what point does like a, do quotes just being like stop being like helpful or insightful and just be sort of like empty platitudes? You know, like you're just like somebody like you're like um like I don't know if I'm gay or not. Like I have all these things, and somebody just like gives you a quote by you know like Oprah or some shit, and you're just like great. Or like what like when is it like useful to like you know bring that up like in your opinion? Like I always like them, but like I know of like people like can and will give you like flack for just like thanks for like just this like 10 words now i'm cured yeah i mean i think it's actually kind of the same way that labels work where it's like if the quote helps you then it's mm. probably something good to use if it's not helping you then it's probably not and i think there's also like the point as well that some you could definitely misuse quotes and just kind of like and there's some people who will use quotes to just like try and justify things and the <laughs> quote just like doesn't apply to uh so that can is also like another sort of area but i think in this case it sort of like just fits with the general theme of the video where it's like you know here's a quote that helped me and maybe it'll help you mm -hmm. as well it's kind of right. how i saw that working yeah.
No, I agree. I was just sort of curious to get your opinion on it because I'm like always sort of like struggling as to like whether I should like hit them with that one liner real quick when they're like <laughs> in the middle of like a uh, personal turmoil. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think I was, I forgot. I was listening to another podcast and someone said that they had gone to therapy and the therapist told them to watch a movie and they said it helped them. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not a professional. So, you know, sometimes other people's words or or whatever can be helpful just or it depends. Yeah, I don't know. I I just really like this video. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite YouTube videos, which is, I don't know, YouTube is not a very high bar to clear, I guess. But <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know, it's nice and simple, has a good message. But I think what, uh, one thing that's interesting to me is just, I think I, I don't think this message is a revelation for either of us, but it is interesting sometimes when I interact with other people, how I think there's just a lot of people who this message would be a revelation for them, which is fine. You know, at mm-hmm. some point it's going to be a revelation for you, I guess. But yeah, I think it's something, I don't know, just in terms of like sharing a, an artifact, I think it's important to share in that way. And then I think too, it's even just that, you know, people are asking her these questions sort of shows the way that labels are still how people still value labels mm-hmm. and because like, I think a lot of times you might think that, you know, it's like straight people who are sort of like throwing these labels on to gay people or something, but people who are like thinking about coming out as gay or questioning or whatever are also sort of like putting these labels on themselves, which is why they feel the need to sort of ask them in the first place. So labels can affect like everyone, regardless of how you choose to label yourself or how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think the, um, I think the most interesting point I sort of landed on was just like specifically thinking about like uh, you know issues of like I don't know gay rights and stuff like that. Just how it was only seven years ago when the president of the United States was not openly in favor of gay marriage, yeah. and now it's like even a rabid right winger like Donald Trump doesn't say anything about gay marriage. Like it's just <laughs> completely accepted now, mm-hmm. and I sort of think it's. A video like this is kind of helpful for like thinking about actually going back to like the my safe room about cultural studies and stuff, like why it's important. Because this video really succinctly summarizes a lot of ideas that come from people who study gender and sexuality in a way that you would just seems like common sense to a point where you would watch this video and you might think like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Kind of forgetting like how far we've actually come in such a short amount of time and probably like how far we'll get in another seven years even. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is kind of like a cool sort of like benchmark to like track that. Yeah. I like that. No, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, it was just like a pretty nice and short video. Can Nice. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did I even say? I said like can short video. <laughs> I think that's our episode title. Can short. Well, now I have to keep it in so it can be the our uh, title. <laughs> Fuck. A nice, concise, short video. Yeah, I mean, we got to keep it in. Fuck. Yeah, that's all right. And we got to fill this up a little bit anyways. It, but I think both our articles are going to be pretty short talking. I think the longest the longest quarter of this thing will probably be your safe room talk. <laughs> we just go in on people needing to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Oh, me too. Oh, the only other thing I was going to say, like, Going back to my other point about like how, uh, you know, the people can sort of like apply these labels to themselves regardless of how they sort of see themselves. 
Like, I think one way, I don't know, it's, this is kind of tangential, but if you do watch ContraPoints at all, which I think you have in mm-hmm. the past, but she'll a lot of times start a sentence sarcastically with, as a trans woman, mm-hmm. kind of like poking fun at how, like, yeah, even like people who are trans or any sort of queer or whatever will sometimes sort of like try to uh, let their label like define their ideas and beliefs rather than letting their ideas and beliefs sort of determine how they choose to see themselves. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I, like I said, it can, it can also happen if you're straight or cis or whatever else you might be. I think people like tend to, some some people tend to see themselves, like they label themselves first and then decide what they think after that. Mm-hmm. So it can be good just to like remember that it's really supposed to be the other way around, I think. Right. They We talk a lot about, like, sort of the labels other people put on us and things, but, like, the labels we put on ourselves from just sort of, like, society's, like, subconscious or implicit labeling, I guess, with things that we do to ourselves um, can be just as damaging and sometimes more so because we're sort of, like, more committed to that in some way because, like, we've elected to use it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even, you know, for there's probably some... You know, people who feel like they don't need this because they just see themselves as whatever sort of normative label they put on themselves. But I think, like, the ultimate point is really just, at the end of the day, you are you should sit down with yourself and figure out, are you living your best life, basically? Like, are you truly doing the things that are going to make you happy? Or are you just sort of doing what you feel like you're supposed to do because of how you see yourself. Because I think people who have never had to sort of question their gender, their sexuality, or whatever else might sort of just think like that they're living their best life mm-hmm. or the best life. But uh, something like that, which is why I say like cultural studies is really for everyone. Because I think mm-hmm. ultimately the point is like if you've never sort of questioned the way you think of yourself, you won't be able to know if you're living your best life really. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. So, Alex, what is your artifact this week? So, my artifact this week is an article from theappeal.org uh, by Stephanie Mudhank Carlson. I was sexually assaulted, and I believe incarcerating rapists doesn't help victims like me. And we've talked about the retributive versus rehabilitative prison systems and things like that. And this is sort of just like more on that with specifically dealing with rape victims and rapists. So the article starts with Ms. Harrelson talking about how in 2015 she was raped at Baylor University, reported to an officer who told her that no sane DA would pick up her case because there was no eyewitnesses and and that the rapist had claimed consent. Um, she did pursue with a title title nine investigation that took four months and she says it was more traumatic than the rape itself how many times she was interrogated and she had 25 witnesses who would attest to the change in her behavior and she was diagnosed with ptsd following the assault and then following that after she lost the appeals and you know the rapist was found not guilty she was told after that by the president of Baylor at the time, Ken Starr, that he believed that there was a misca- miscarriage of justice had occurred and that he would do something about it. And two months later, he hadn't heard anything. And then after she posted about it online in a blog, Starr, who was a former prosecutor, one-time defense attorney for Jeffrey Epstein. The boy. The boy. <laughs> and the author of a report on the Clinton administration that included a salacious section on the former president's sexual misconduct and the Monica Lewinsky scandal. He left Carr 
star star left Baylor. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Ken Starr left Baylor over the mishandling of multiple sexual assault complaints uh, at his school. So she was not by any means an isolated incident, both in what had happened to her and how it was handled. And she sort of goes on after that to speak more broadly, saying that, um, you know, about how what should be done because the present system that we work with and the criminal justice doesn't work. Um, saying that research demonstrates many victims of sexual trauma heal primarily through regaining power and control over what occurs in the aftermath of an assault, including the ability to make choices about when, how, and with whom to share their story and the ability to limit their exposure to situations that cause flashbacks or re-traumatization. Um, however, though, almost the exact opposite is the criminal legal process removes power and control from the victim and places it in the hands of entities that represent the interests of the state of the person harmed. Victims uh, who do not wish to testify may even be compelled to do so by a court order under threat of imprisonment. Um, and if she says she ends one of her paragraphs with, if one were to design a system to inflict trauma on survivors, it would look a lot like our current criminal legal system. Um, so there, I mean, so things, especially like, you know, talking about the incident, like if they do testify, victims don't control their story. Instead, it's extracted from them through a series of questions and answers by the prosecutor and furtherance of the state interests. And then they're subject to a cross-examination by a defense attorney. Um, which can be deeply destabilizing because the whole point is to sort of undermine their story, can trigger flashbacks to initial trauma, and can cause the survivor to question whether their trauma is even worth worthy of redress. And she goes on to say a lot of different ways in which um, the criminal legal systems of retribution um, doesn't do anything to help both survivor and um, assailant. The criminal legal system, she writes, uh, as retributive center response dis- disincentivizes the accused from admitting or acknowledging the harm they have caused. It ac- the accused often resorts to denial, not from a desire to skirt responsibility for harm, but out of desperation to avoid the horrors of prison. Um, there's no benefit to accepting responsibility, excluding the um, context of provisions like acceptance of responsibility can reduce a prison sentence. And so... That I mean, read the rest of the article just sort of goes on to say all the ways in which prison sort of makes communities less safe um, because prisons are criminogenic, meaning that instead of rehabilitating individuals, prisons make them more likely to commit crimes in the future. We've talked about this before with previous episodes like about the Scandinavian prisons, about the sort of different models they have. But I guess the one sort of thing I wish this article did was just sort of give some more concrete examples of what the alternatives should be instead of just saying that there are all there are alternatives to explore that are better, but it doesn't really mm-hmm. talk talk about any practically. So it just sort of seems very pie in the sky, even though there are other places that do a different criminal justice system. So I'm not sure why they were not talked about, but go over to you. Yeah, I think that she, it almost seems like she's saying that the solution is to have assailants and their victims sort of get together and like talk it out. I sort of see where she's coming from. Yeah. I don't know. There's definitely like, even if you click on, like she has, she talks about, you know, that she's basically received, you know, she has the line. She's, I've been called stupid, naive, malevolent, and a bitch. If you click on any of those, I think it takes you to like this series of tweets where someone's basically like chastising her for, these ideas uh-huh. uh, point being there are definitely some people who don't agree and yeah I don't know I think I could definitely see it not going well because I don't think I don't know I think she she definitely places like a lot of faith sort of in that assailants are redeemable uh-huh. and I think to a degree like everyone is 
you know, has some sort of inherent human value, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that I'm going to like sit down with everyone and try and have like some sort of conversation that brings us both to, you know, some sort of greater satisfaction in our lives or something like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel like that's always going to be possible. I'm not even sure if it'll be possible most of the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, she mentions that like he has like and seeks to bring together those who have caused the harm and those who have experienced it have been affected by it in order to create a specific plan of repair, like implying that like the people causing the harm would be like want to do that. Um, like victims' questions are answered, recognition recognition of the harm wrought is articulated, sincere apologies are given. Um, those who have caused the harm are held accountable in a way that the criminal justice system actually prevents, which results in more recidivism rates. Like, I like things like sincere apologies are given and questions are answered. Like, there's not always going to be, like, a good, like, we got to the root of it, like, see how the metaphor extends answer. Like, sometimes it's just, like, they're a bad person and they're selfish and they don't care. <laughs> and, like, that, if they, if you need to hear that, fine. But, like, I don't know if that's going to help as many people as she thinks it will. But that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. She, she's not, she thinks she's going to get a better answer than that. Which I'm more inclined mm-hmm. to agree with you that that's not probably going to be the case even most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know, I think there's some statistic that most sexual assaults occur from someone who the victim knew, mm-hmm. um, so, I don't know, maybe there is, like, some value there, like, it maybe it's more complicated than, um, I mean, it's definitely complicated, but... So I, I'm all I'm saying is I'm not ruling out that maybe she there's some validity to what she's saying in terms of that one specific point. I mean I think overall there's a lot of good things to take away from this, but yeah, the, I'm just not sure about that the restore the way that she sort of is using restorative justice there. But maybe there's some validity to it. I won't, I won't rule it out totally. I'm just I wasn't sold on it. Um, but I think the point that's the strongest is just the point that. Um, Basically, she says, society believes that incarceration and justice are synonymous and that uh, the mental and physical havoc caused by rape will cease when their sound is behind bars. Bar devastated to discover that the anxiety, fear, nightmares, flashbacks, and bouts of fury that are inherent in PTSD, basically that those still will continue despite a successful prosecution. And I think that's definitely true. I think that's the other side of the coin is that if people think that you know, just because the state has sort of decided that your point is, you know, that you were wronged, which I mean, I guess can be sort of validating, maybe. I'd rather have, you know, as bad as the justice system is, I guess I'd rather have them validate that I was wrong than say that I was not wronged or something. But at the same time, it's not going to, that's not what really gives you happiness in life, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's worth nothing, but yeah, it's definitely, you're not going, like, yeah, you're not, as she says, like, if you have PTSD from that sort of event, it's not going to cure that. And also just the whole process, the way it is, she talks about how you can be sort of forced to testify and things like that could potentially also make it worse. But I think it sort of goes back to just the question we had I don't, not, I don't remember which week now, but about like the prisons in Norway and are, you know, should we even have prisons? What's the point of prisons? I think if, because if the point is here is that 
basically these people committed a crime and they should be taken off the streets, then, well, I mean, they're also, like, not very good at that when it comes to sexual assault cases. But, you know, at least when it is successful, then you do accomplish that. But if the point is to make the victim sort of give them some sort of, like, happiness, like, I'm not sure they can do that. I'm not sure that, yeah, I'm not sure. They're, they're, I don't know if they're supposed to do that, but they definitely are not doing that. But, yeah, then at the same time, I'm not sure that her restorative justice is going to accomplish that either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it really gives us necessarily a, a way out, but I think it does raise interesting questions about, like, what exactly are we looking for from prisons, which we had touched on in an earlier episode. Yeah, Um the problem with prisons is that even though you know there aren't there are bars and it's segregated that doesn't make it a safe room (laughs) i I thought you were going to respond to what i said you were just thinking of (laughs) well there is i mean yeah i mean i think at this the article is less concerned with like rebuilding the american criminal justice system from the ground up and more just um showing people how it presently is failing and the assumptions we make about a lot of things of like just like you know once like you said like once someone is incarcerated or once they've been convicted that justice has been served and that that's sort of the period to the situation is like first you committed a rape and now you're in jail and that's sort of the end and there's a lot as with most things there's a lot more focus on the act and the perpetrator than there is on the victim and how they feel after the fact so like again for as much as she talks about alternative forms of justice besides just retributive probably perhaps more time should have been some more articles perhaps should have been linked if they weren't but yeah just someone being locked in a jail behind bars segregated from society does not necessarily lead to a safe room (laughs) (laughs) all right All right, Alex, now that we're in the safe room, what do you have on your mind this week? On my mind this week, very, very relatively brief, but currently, presently infuriated with the hypocrisy of people who are anti-hunting but still eat meat because, well, for many a reason, but off the top, it's not... You know, it's not any more humane. It's still an animal dying. I mean, people can, like, torture animals, I guess, while hunting them. But, I mean, traditionally, you know, the standard is there's, like, a code of, like, if you wound an animal, you need to, like, track it down and make sure that it's no longer suffering. And, I mean, you can do that with gun or a crossbow or, I guess, a metal piston that goes through this brain at a factory farm. But it's still sort of the same result, not worse. And so it's just, like, this weird sort of... Out of sight, out of mind is the worst way to live your life in every capacity. And this is just one that sort of exemplifies that um, mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I feel like I was just talking about this with someone not that long ago. But 
Yeah, I don't know, because there's not really... I mean, I think this also just gets, like, the larger... Uh, well, I don't know if it's larger, but, like, the corollary issue of, like, the death penalty and, like, is there a humane way to kill anything? Because, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of people sort of have this, like, vague sense that there's some sort of humane way to kill something, but then when you get down to, like, the nitty-gritty, no one will really... I mean, some people will say, like, oh, this is the humane way. But for the most part, I feel like most people will not, most people are not comfortable saying, like, oh, yeah, I know for sure that this is a humane way to kill something. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, but, I mean, if anything, hunting is probably better. I mean, I don't think you could, you probably can't hunt enough food to, like, support everyone who eats meat. So I get why they do factory farming. Factory farming needs to be reformed. Like, it's and a lot of the problems also like with distribution and stuff like that. Right. But, like overall, like you can't, you're not going to be able to just hunt wild animals and feed the whole planet. No. I, I don't think that's possible. So like, I get why they have, like, I, I understand why they have the system they have, even though it needs to be reformed. But yeah, but if anything, hunting is more humane mm -hmm. than factory farming. Cause at least with hunting, like the animal has gotten to live its life up to that point. Right in relative freedom like factory farming is just like cram a like you know a chicken into the a cage that's the size of three-fourths of a chicken <laughs> and then just like i don't even you know i don't even know how they kill the chickens i know like the i think don't look like the cows and the pigs and stuff they just like crush them to death or something <laughs> um like, usually they have like a like a little like i i don't know if this is always the case but a lot of it is like there's like just like a metal rod that like shoots out like with air and just sort of like goes through the skull and like mm -hmm. goes like to the brain uh i don't know how they factory farm kill chickens i know some farms will do a thing where they'll like stick the chicken's head through a like a traffic cone so it's just like the head and the neck sticking out and they'll just sort of like slice the jugular and just like let it bleed out mm -hmm. i mean i might not they might not use an actual traffic cone that's just the one time i've seen like a slaughterhouse video but it was like a relatively small farm so like i don't know if that's probably not the standard but there might be an automated version of that um mm -hmm. but yeah it's not it's not great <laughs> um but this is actually this was um the sort of inciting incident for this safe room was somebody tweeting about like um warning signs for men not to date and one of them was that they're like an avid hunter the person that made that tweet i believe is vegetarian or vegan but i i know a lot of people that like liked and shared that tweet are absolutely meat eaters so i was just vaguely annoyed well to be fair i would not date a hunter even though i'm cool like i'm and i'm cool with hunting in theory mm -hmm. but the actual people who hunt i probably also would not date. <laughs> that's fine yeah, no judgment but <laughs> no judgment but i will not associate um, I don't know. There's just like the with the rest of the list, there was an implication that they were like, there's just like punches holes in walls, torture small animals, hunts, and I was like, one of these is not like the other. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, because you're not a vegetarian, right? I'm not. Yeah, I'm. I eat way less meat than I used to. I don't. Like, I should, less. but I don't. <laughs> But I'll still, like, I usually only eat meat now when I go out. I bear, I, yeah, I can't remember the last time I made my own, uh, but I will eat it when I go out. But yeah, I think, I think overall, like, um, I don't know, like, do whatever you want, but I do sort of, I think, like, overall, we do consume, like, too much meat just from, like, even an environmental sort of standpoint. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and so I think it's probably 
good for, and also just like even from a nutrition standpoint like people like i don't know americans especially eat like way too much protein mm-hmm. so like it's, everyone could probably use to cut out some meat and replace it with whatever vegetables or anything but unless you're trying to get as yoked as us then you need that protein <laughs> yeah that's why we do the podcast because our <laughs> muscles are too big to press a both fit on one <laughs> screen so you just have to hear our voices we're thousands of miles away from each other but our shoulders still touch (laughs) (laughs) our trap game is too strong bro (laughs) but yeah but no it's not realistic for people to get as jacked as us so it doesn't make sense for the rest of you to eat that much meat. you're cutting into our main line so you gotta cut that shit everybody <laughs> else needs to get vegetarian for us to keep this swole <laughs> uh, but yeah um but the other extreme like the people who sort of say like it's unethical to eat any meat i don't know like because then i also feel like i'm like i don't know even if you eat plants like there was i guarantee you there was like millions of insects that were living on those plants oh, before you yeah, for sure. did them. Like, yeah. You're not like sparing any sort of life or anything by eating plants. You're just like valuing larger animals over smaller ones. And if you get them from any big supermarket, there's also like the ethics of like the migrant workers. Like you don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you can go down that rabbit hole as long as you want, but eventually it's going to catch up to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's just about like trying to make like the best ethical decisions you can given the circumstances and you know if, if you choose not to eat meat that's fine but i think you know it's also fine if you eat meat and you know same goes for like hunting like obviously you don't have to be a hunter but it's also fine all right justin what's your safe room buddy okay so my safe room this week people need to shut the hell up <laughs> and go home <laughs> But I say this from a place and that's of love. The podcast. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Go home. Shut up. <laughs> now that we've talked for forty-five minutes, shut the hell up and go home. <laughs> yeah, no, but I say this from a place of love, though. Uh, so basically, this comes from a workshop that I was at not too long ago, where it was a three-day workshop. We were at the end of the third day. Literally, we all could have just gone home at that moment. But then one person was like, you know, why don't we all go around and share like what we like, basically like recap what we talked about at this workshop. Now, and also the other thing to keep in mind is that everything we had talked about the work in the workshop was in a Google Doc that we had shared with everyone. So like it was already had been sort of summarized in there. But she still wanted us to like go around and sort of share what we had done. No, she doesn't really deserve much credit for that. But to be fair, she did say, give the two-second version of it. And the first person who went went on for at least a good one to two minutes, solid, before passing it off to the next person who also went at least, you know, two minutes. And then actually started having a conversation with the first person. So we jumped back to the first person who then you know, jumped back in for another couple of minutes. Jesus. Probably spent like 10 minutes going to like the first four people. I got up and I gave the two second version. I said, this is what I'm going to do next. Everyone had, so, and I just, that was it. I stopped after that. Yep. And everyone had the audacity to then start staring at me, nope. uh, expecting me to say something more. I'm like, no, nah, like I'm going home. I'm, <laughs> I'm done here. You know, needless to say, we did eventually get home. But 
my point is just that you know uh you know i can't unfortunately i can't give the the full scope of the story here i have to can't dox myself but uh i think everyone can probably relate to being at a meeting that has gone overly long and people just need to sort of find find something that matters to you find you know you give yourself some reason to go home whether it's a personal project you're working on or someone you want to see or anything and find find that you know personal motivation in your life and use that as your motivation to shut the hell up and go home mm-hmm. and let the rest of us go home as well if you want to talk to yourself in a corner that's fine but let the rest of us leave please I like it. I was going to ask you if you'd ever been at an overly long meeting. Have or... I? Oh, actually, I was at my unpaid internship a month ago. We had a meeting that I was told to go to. I don't know why, but it was about the health care plan for the workers that I'm not part of. It was an hour long. The woman was done talking at 20 minutes. And the next 40 minutes, every single person that had a question was very specifically about what their individual health concerns were at that moment. That absolutely could have been an email for every single, single, single question. Could have been an email directly to the (laughs) HR because every answer had to be, well, this is for you. I don't know what the case will be for everybody else, but just going forward with the information you gave me. So it's completely useless for everybody else. And I had to sit there for a fucking hour, just out of my mind. Just like, why am I here? I had a stack of shit to do, by the way. Like that was due like two hours later. And I was like, I there's so many other things I could be doing than sitting here for no fucking reason. I kept making eyes with another attorney or one of the attorneys that didn't tell me to show up. And I was just like, hello. And they just sort of like shrugged, like, I don't know either, buddy. And I was like, well, great. And of course, I was sitting in the back of the room. So I would have gone through every single person to like sneak out of there. So that wasn't fucking happening. But anytime you ask a question in a group setting that specifically relates to you personally, especially at work, if you can email them, for God's sakes, shut the hell up and go home. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh Christ. Yeah, I just thought about that. That really brought me back. That was the end of June. That still really sits with me. This podcast <laughs> isn't even gonna come out till November. <laughs> uh, all right, well that's our show for this week. See the show notes for a link to view the artifacts for yourself. A music for the podcast is produced by Nicholas Pizzuto. Rate us five stars on whatever iTunes is doing these days. Tell a friend or an enemy about the show and join us again in uh, hopefully two weeks <laughs> as we find two new texts to discuss. Hey, Justin, quick question. Mm-hmm. Who's got two thumbs and take photos with infants whose parents died in a mass shooting the day before? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was, that was the highlight of his presence. <laughs>